Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we all have those parts of scripture that keep drawing us back. You know, the ones that we return to over and over again. I know technically we love all of scripture, every jot and tittle, but it's just that some parts speak more easily. They settle more clearly in our ears and in our hearts. Some parts of scripture are for different seasons. And it seems that Jesus recognized that too. He returns to the prophet Isaiah over and over again. Isaiah's words inaugurate his earthly ministry, and Isaiah foretells the travails of the suffering servant, and Isaiah is also there at the end with him. Along with the Psalms, Jesus seems to have quoted Isaiah a lot. So what was it about Isaiah? What did he get so right that the Son of Man has him always on his lips. Well, this reading from the prophet this morning and its repetition, a reading that kicked off Jesus' ministry, gives a pretty good idea why. Just as an aside, one commentator said that we should always pay particular attention because the first scenes in any of the Gospels are really important. They set the tone and name the priorities in the rest of the narrative to come. It's always worth paying attention to what comes first in the Gospels. So first off, Jesus quotes Isaiah and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. Now, while it's clear that the power and the commission are from the Lord, the actual me, with whom God is present and whom God has anointed and sent, isn't identified. And that's interesting. I know it's logical to assume that it's the prophet's voice and the prophet's mission that's described, but Jesus himself interpreted the passage another way and claimed that mandate that was set out for his own. Now, there's a convention that any time in scripture there is ambiguity about someone, say here in Isaiah or in St. John's Gospel when he describes the disciple whom Jesus loved, that that description is meant to be us. That space has been provided in the narrative so that we're part of it. And I think that fits, you know? It's very Ignatian, and I love anything Ignatian. And I think it fits that Jesus claimed this as his mission, and that if we, as disciples of Jesus and ministers of word and sacrament, are meant to share his mission, that these same words apply to us very directly. And they apply very directly to us within a context within the times 
and the events through which we internalize these words. So here's God's mandate for Jesus. He is meant to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. I've been thinking about how we might interpret these words, this mission in these times. In the past couple of years, how often have you, as a minister of God's love and mercy, prayed for God's tender care, for God's provision of strength for your people to get through one more day, one more week? How often have you prayed for the captivity of the mind to isolation to end, for folks to have the liberty of relationship and community restored? Isaiah continues that the servant of God is to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion and to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Again, how often as ministers of God, as the face and hands of Christ, have you done this in the past few years? Comforted on the phone, by text, through the wonders of Zoom, FaceTime, and Skype, the brokenhearted, those separated from their families by this stupid virus, those who had to bid goodbye at the front door of the hospital, not knowing if they would meet again in this life. How often have you prayed with your people asking God to help your people dig deep. And how often have you prayed that the Lord who can number the hairs on your head for love would bind up their and your hearts when in the midst of crushing grief. And then we shift from the single servant to the plural, to the many servants of God. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. But of course, we read these words, and we can't help but hear the resonance of words like ruins and devastations. We can't help but hear these words in the context of war today. This is the thing about scripture. It's always so close to our own realities, even though it might have been revealed 10 centuries ago. We hear the emanations of war in Ukraine, so close in so many ways, and especially the landscape of horror in Bucha and war in Afghanistan, in Myanmar, in Yemen, in Tigray, in Somalia, in Syria, in South Sudan, and dozens of other places where humanity is suppressed and oppressed, and dirt, indignity, and cruelty have surfaced. We can't help but hear the resonance and the cries of our indigenous siblings, whose devastations are daily and rightly with us the devastations of many generations 
whom we as Settler Church, past and present, have had a hand in. We hear the cries of the survivors of abuse, both inside and outside the supposedly safe walls of our church, and the pain that yearns for justice and restitution. And we experience the yearning to, to build back our own communities whose composition has been so changed by COVID. This past uh, Sunday afternoon, I attended by Zoom Maestro Boris Brot's funeral at Anchi Shalom Temple here in Hamilton. As you may know, Boris was tragically killed uh, in a hit-and-run accident last week. He was a formative artistic figure in my own life as well as the life of our sea city and indeed our nation. There were many gathered to say farewell to this impressive impresario. And Steve Pakin was one of the eulogists. I was very moved by what Steve said. He confessed that he was struggling with his own anger at the manner of Boris's death the violence and the senselessness of it, and many, great and good as they were there in attendance, felt the same way. You could see the heads nod. But Steve met a friend this past week, David Crombie, former mayor of Toronto, who is no stranger to tragedy himself, having lost a child far too early. And in the course of their conversation, David validated Steve's anger. That was important. But equally importantly, as he parted with Steve, he said this, once you get past the anger, tikkun olam, repair the world. Repair the world. Three crucial words. Oh, this really struck me. Because its meaning is here in the prophet Isaiah's words, isn't it? In the first words that Jesus read, words that set the course for his ministry among us, and words that faithful Jews would know, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The mission of God is defined as helping to repair the harm, to be present to the pain of this world, and to be part of putting it right. Well, I don't know about you, but I can get on board with that mission as a general orientation of my vocation. If we are to become more and more like Christ over time, then this is our mandate too. You see, I love that ours is not a passive faith, nor are our vocations. There is prayer, there is contemplation, there is study and formation, but out of that grows action that's shaped and demanded by those things. In fact, they're so intertwined, there's just no separation between them. We are to be the face and the hands of Christ as we repair the world through prayer and through action. But there's one more crucial element to this. I have seen how you have we have, against many odds in these last couple of years, striven to fulfill the parts of God's mission that were available to us. And I know it was hard, and I, I know how inadequate we all felt to the task. 
There were times when we couldn't work hard enough. We couldn't pray frequently or fervently enough. At times, we were prevented from doing what we knew how to do, and nothing felt like enough. The truth is, on our own, it wasn't, and it never will be. As Jesus followers, we're not supposed to repair the world by the power of our own elbow. So, and if you remember nothing else from this homily on the day that you are here to renew your vows as a person set apart for leadership in our church, remember this. You do not and you cannot do this work of reconciliation, restitution, and repair on the strength of your own merits. There's a reason why we say we share in God's mission and mandate. We share it. We cannot repair the world on our own. We repair it as a church. We repair it as a community. We repair it in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son with the guidance of the triune God who creates in beauty, who redeems whether we deserve it or not, and who sustains us even in pandemic. God sustains us even as we acknowledge with sorrow the sins of our forebears, sustains us even through war, even and maybe especially through the mundanity of daily life. There's a reason why we consecrate every prayer, every desire, and every act to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because we need the creative, redemptive and sustaining of power of God just to get through. So as we prepare to affirm our vows again, let us remember that we share in Jesus' mission, in thought, in word, in deed, to repair God's world. Tikkun Alam. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ Church Cathedral. Audio editing and original theme by Eduardo Farias. We hope you join us again soon. Have a blessed day.